What up, people? My name's Guy Adami. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan. On certain days of the week, Carter Braxton Worth joins us. Fortunately, Wednesday, that's today, is one of those days. Today's market call, by the way, Dan, is brought to you by FactSet. I, can I tell you something? I dig those guys, right? I mean, don't you love what the FactSet folks have to do? Because yeah. I do. I mean, and we got butters coming up tomorrow. So many cool things. You can see I'm a little exercised today. By the way, we're powered by Open Exchange because not even me, not even I could have told you that you have a nine handle on this number today. Now, you know where I've stood on this for a while, but I can't even believe it came in that hot. Now, I know what you're going to say, Dan, so I'm going to beat you to the punch. You're going to say it's backward looking. Commodities have come off a great deal since. Correct, you are, but... Even you would have to admit that was a ridiculous number. Hello, by the way. Yeah, hey, bud. I, I do think it's interesting that, you know, I think a lot of market participants, no matter where you sit, bullish, bearish, as it relates to stocks, whether it relates to yields, whether it relates to just kind of the, your worldview, I don't think anybody had a vested interest in seeing a nine handle on that print, right? And, and whether you think, okay, fine, it's backwards looking data, it is what it is. You know, I think that, you know, one of the headlines that we got shortly after that was that the Bank of Canada, which mm-hmm. was expected to raise 50 basis points, did did a full 1% there, getting it up to 2.5%, their equivalent of the Fed funds here. And I guess the question here, Guy, is that, okay, at some point, we are going to see inflation peak. You've been saying that whether it be wages, whether it be input costs due to you know commodities or whatever, that they're going to be pesky and persistent. I saw a headline of Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, saying that the Fed's, you know, their outlook of 4% inflation, once it breaks and comes in, is very optimistic, which speaks to that a little bit, right? So we would have liked to have seen 8.5 or 8.4, something below the expectation, which would give us that indication, but it's just not, right? And so now all of a sudden, July is a near certainty they go 75 basis points, and they probably keep the pedal on the metal as we look to that September meeting. Yeah, and I'm, so we're going to look at the S&P. I think that's important. I was surprised. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I mean, because we've thought for a while, and I'm going to bring Carter in a second, we thought the market potentially could rally from these levels. So that sell-off earlier today made sense for a myriad of different reasons. But what I was encouraged by, Dan, and you can speak to this, is the fact that the VIX really never was accelerated, never yeah. really got on its horse at all today. And the HYG was sort of treading water as well. So the things that I watch... We're really telling you maybe the soft was a little misguided, overdone. We're going to see how the day closes. I said it on our Fast Money call. I'll say it here. I think there's a really good chance the S&P closes up anywhere from 35 to 40 handles on the day. We'll see how it plays out. But that's just me talking shop here, Dan. Yeah, and, and to your point, you know, that number comes out at 830. The S&P is in the pre-market. We're basically unchanged. They drop, you know, 1% almost instantly. They kind of trended a little bit lower. And here we are. We filled in that gap. We've come off a little bit here. And again, we got to go back to that chart, that one-year chart that we've been talking about. Yeah, and you think that maybe we get back above 4,000. I think Carter will come in and give us his sense of where that is. You see that little uptrend that we've been in since May. It really never got back towards that downtrend. 3,800 seems to be an important level to me just because it was that May low before we bounced. It was a breakdown level here. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on that. I mean, you could find yourself back towards 3,900 and still below that downtrend that's been in place since the end of March. And the other thing that reacted quickly, Guy, were yields. You know, Carter's mm-hmm. going to go deeper into yields. That 10-year U.S. Treasury before the number was 2.93. It got as high as maybe 303, 304, came back in. But what you're most focused on is that 210 spread. 
I think you have to be, and I think that everybody's sort of watching it now. And again, kudos to Danny Moses who was pointing this out long before anybody else was. But here we are in twos, tens. And you know what else people seem to be talking about now, Dan, as well, is not only volatility in the equity market, which everybody seems to talk about on a daily basis. Now people bring up, well, wait a second, there's this volatility in the bond market and the currency market as well. And and today, I think 10-year actually got up to 307 or something briefly. You had basically a 17 basis point move in 10-year yields in the course of a few hours. Again, to me, that speaks to ridiculous volatility. And what I've said for a while, and I'll continue to say, is I'm surprised it hasn't made its way into the equity market. But twos, tens is what we're focused on. This is my sense. I think it's going to continue to widen out in a negative way. I think 10 years are destined to trade at some point. I think Carter agrees with this because he said it, down to 25 2.6%. But two-year yields are not going to follow. I think two yields might get down to 290-ish or so. But I think this 210s, in my opinion, is headed to about negative 40 or 50 basis points. Right. And again, I don't know what that means. for the, I'm not an economist. I'm not pretending to be. But I will tell you, from the limited time that I did go to class, that's not a particularly good sign. Yeah, what it means is stagflation, right? If that two is going to stay there, it's really modeling Fed funds and what the Fed has to do to continually battle inflation. And what the 10-year is telling you is something about growth. And, you know, we just want to throw up this chart really quickly, going back to the late 70s of the 210 spread and in, in, in the history of inversions. We've looked at it over the last 10 or 20 years or so, but look at how deep in the early 80s. Why is the early 80s important? Well, that's the last time we saw inflation readings this high. And not only did it, you know, was it deep, but it stayed below that kind of 0% bound, or if you will. So again, let's keep an eye on this stuff. All right, let's bring in Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. He wants to go a bit deeper on the 10-year yield. He's got a call for our friends here at Market Call. Carter, how are you, buddy? Man, how are you? I'm good. So well, all sorts of yeah. What do you what do you make of it? I mean, well, what, what, what do you what do you make of the reversal this morning? I mean, listen, the algos pre market. We know it's thin trading. They mark them down one and a half percent or so, nearly two percent from. Then we have that knee jerk reaction. They just start building. And to Guy's point, I'm seeing more and more green throughout the day. You know, in the stock market here. What do you think of the reversal? And could it have legs? Because again, I think Guy, you said it yesterday on market call. They might have sold the rumor. They might buy the news. Yeah, it's what I feel like. And I'm sure, Carter, you know, I think you're probably looking at obviously the same things we're looking at. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on not only today's action, but, you know, what we're setting up for. Right. I mean, look, you know, extrapolating, we all do it. And it's good to do, right? You see a trend and you want to go with it until it gets just too stretched. And so it can't be, right? It cannot be that you have a CPI like this and the market hasn't crashed. But that's the case. We're green. It can't be that rates are down, but it is. It can't be that the dollar's not up, but it's not. It's down. The euro's up. I mean, everyone was positioned the same way. Every single person, every newspaper, every source. We have the IMF today coming out and saying they're going to lower their GDP. Strategists after strategists are lowering their price targets. Analysts are. That's actually when you start saying, hmm, maybe this is overdone. It doesn't mean it could not go lower on a 12-month basis. Yeah. But intermediate basis, it's all one way. It's a, I mean, you can't get anyone to fade the dollar, anyone to buy the euro. You can't get anyone to talk about anything but higher rates. And so mean reversion, 
Hard to time it, but sometimes you can. That's what's going on today. Carter, it looks like you're going to try to get some people to fade the dollar and fade the rate move. But, you know, one of the things I think is interesting, and, and again, you know, we, we've been talking about negative sentiment. It's really hard to find anybody who's particularly optimistic about, you know, the stock market going higher. I will say this, though. The one thing, and Peter Bookvar, a friend for Bleakly Advisors, who's been on the program with us in the past, you know, he made a point in his note in the book report this morning, is that the one thing that really hasn't budged, despite some very disappointing earnings and guidance has been S&P 500 earnings estimates guy for this year, which still sit up there at about $229, you know? And so that's the one thing that we might get the realization, but it might be good guy that investors are so negative to Carter's point. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We had Mike Wilson on, I think it was Mike Wilson yesterday on Fast Money. His price target for the end of the year was 47.15. And you know, how do you get there? Well, you get there with $235 worth of S&P earnings, which I don't think we'll get anywhere close to. And you also get there with a multiple of 20, which in this environment, the market doesn't really necessitate or dictate. So I'm hard pressed to believe we can get there currently where we stand. I do think the market's going to rally. I've been saying for a while, I thought 4,100 is a logical place yeah. to go to and stop. But we'll see what happens on the quick, back end quick, if, in fact, we get there, Carter. Quick correction. You said Mike Wilson, 47.15. There's no way that Mike Wilson is 47.15. No, who was – no, was was he – I'm sorry. Who was on Fast Money? I'm, I apologize. No, I wasn't on yesterday. But my, my only point is our friend Mike Wilson at Morgan Stanley, he's got a much more bearish outlook than oh, that. Oh, it was, it, was it was the guy that looks like one of the Manning brothers. Sorry about that. I don't know who that is. All right. Yeah, the Go man ahead, tell me well, well, chat. listen, a big part, you know, historically, a big part of equity valuations have been yields, Carter. And walk us through this here. You heard what we had to say about what Guy thinks the two is going to do and where the three can go and what that means. Talk to us what you think about 10 years and basically longer duration yields. Yeah, let's let's look at some charts. I mean, I think the stunner for the consensus is, of course, that everyone's playing for higher rates, especially on a CPI print like that. And that's not the case here, because what we know is that if indeed these facts, while rearview mirror they might be, it all speaks to things that are coming that will ultimately put a damper on the party. And so the long end is reflecting that. So we know it's a well-defined head and shoulders bottom. That's a yield chart. It's weekly. You can see it. The lines aren't mine. They are, but they draw themselves. Let's look at the next one. Where did we go to? We went right to the former high. You can see that on the on the big fat line I've drawn. Now, there's something called a measured move, and we have some annotations on the following chart. And what this talks about is if you actually look at the absolute low to the sort of neckline there of the head and shoulders, that was 150 basis points. And look at that mirror image or matching projection, 150. We got literally to the peak of earlier this year, and it stopped to the penny. Mm-hmm. And so now the question is, have we achieved a measured move? I think we have. Let's move it forward one more. Basically, I think we go lower. So the here and now chart is what really matters, and it has the head and shoulders top that is very important. Let's look at it. So on a short-term basis, this is a yield chart coming up, and what you'll see is, I don't know, that's not a good setup. And then finally, put in the smoothing mechanism, the 150-day moving average, that gets you. I've projected it. You see the dotted part. But we 2.5. Mm-hmm. I think so. And it makes a lot of sense, Dan. And, and by the way, it was Chris Harvey, and you were correct to correct me. It was, I saw I mix those two up all the time. Chris Harvey from Wells Fargo, his price target 47.15. But if, in fact, this comes to fruition, what does it really mean? Like, what are we going through, Dan? What is your sense in terms of equities? Because I would submit that lower yields might be bullish in the very, very short term. But when people figure out why they're going lower, yeah. I think it's going to be bearish. Exactly. Well, I- 
I, I, you know, Carter, but, you know, my sense is this, is that when you think about the Fed's balance sheet and, and how much bigger it's gotten, right? And you think about the history of the 10-year yield. So if you put them up against each other over the last 25 years, they make an X, right? Like, so you see, you know, the 10-year yield from the upper left to the bottom right. When the stock market topped out in 2000, I think the 10-year yield was above 6%, right? And it got basically to zero in 2020. And then what's happened to the Fed's balance sheet? It's gone to the bottom left to the upper right over that time period. So Guy, you and I have been talking about this for a lot over the last few years. I just don't think sovereign yields are ever going to go that much higher. So when I see Carter's technical work and I see where we topped out just last month at three and a quarter or something, very or three and a half, right near those 2018 highs. And I remember what the Fed did, Guy. What, what did the stock market do in Q4 of 2018? It dropped how much? 19.9% from effectively Halloween yeah. until Christmas Eve, Dan, back yeah. to you. So to me, like, Carter, that's an important footnote, right? Because the Fed had to pivot, right? Because they were worried about the negative wealth effect of the stock market, what that might do. So talk to us a little bit about it. Answer the question that guy asked me, because I guess I'm not doing a great job answering it. Well, I mean, you know, there's so many ways to answer that question or every question. The question is, and you referred to the debt. I mean, debt is a damper on growth. Debt yeah. is deflationary. Right. It has to be serviced. So the question is where we are in the cycle and whether the markets basically collapse in nickel and collapse in yep. wheat and collapse in oil and collapse in NASDAQ 100 down 35 percent. This is all suggesting that all of this talk is that we've peaked or are peaking in all the inflation yeah. problems. And then ultimately, I think rates- uh, so, so really quickly, and this is for our listeners, our viewers here, You know, we obviously will tell you where to get more of Carter's work, but I saw an email from Worth Charting yesterday, Carter, you wanna play this in yields being long TLT, right? Mm -hmm. And so you guys can check that out on worthcharting.com if you wanna see how to play his view on yields. All right, let's talk about the dollar here. There's been you know, the euro back at parity is getting a lot of headlines. I were, I lived in London back in 2000 when the euro was really just introduced as that common currency. And I remember, you know, it being, I remember going over to France and be like, a Coke cost a dollar, it cost, a, you know, a euro. It was like the same thing. And then things got complicated once once the dollar started losing some, some steam against the euro here. But here we are, we're back to parity here. Talk to us your views on dollar euro here. Right. So as is the case always, it depends on your time frame. The tactical short term is crazy steep each way. And I think that it's a case of fade the extreme strength in the dollar too far, too fast and buy the extreme weakness in the euro. So bad it's good. But we'll look at that time frame and then let's look at some long ones. So I've got a bunch of comparative charts and we can move through them quickly. There's a two year. It's two lines. It's two colors. It's very straightforward. Dollar up, euro down. Look at five years. And so these things, they're the opposite of one another. But it's, it's about here and now, you can't keep that going much longer. And note today, of course, a dollar is down, euro is up, meaning it's just a little stretch. Now let's, let maybe more nuanced, let's go a little longer term. So here's 10 years. It's not quite as extreme, but again, sequencing would call for some sort of mean reversion. Let's do a bit longer. Now we have 20. They're dead even money. There's exactly one you were talking about when you were in London. And the point is that, okay, so now is dollar extended? Not on this reading, let's go longer. There's 30 years and let's do all data. We might have that. So it's always about your time frame. And maybe let's go to the first one or second one to, to end with it. Here and now, everyone's positioned for higher dollar, lower euro. So we go the other way. Mm -hmm. We try to take longer term, 
the long-term charts would suggest that the dollar strength has legs and it's not extended relative to the euro. Longer term, I, I mean, I'm so with you on this. And when you mm-hmm. say longer term, you're right. In terms of those l- longer dated charts, the dollar is not extended at all. In the short term, it is. And what I said over the last couple of weeks, I think I said it yesterday, and I'll say it again now if we have any new viewers, is I think what's going to happen is, you know, the flight to quality we've seen in the form of the dollar for a myriad of different reasons, I think that will abate in the short term in the form of the equity market getting back on some solid footing and the S&P potentially rallying 7 or 8% mm-hmm. from these current levels. I think if that were to happen, the dollar would sell off, not necessarily precipitously, but it will sell off in a somewhat meaningful way. I think that dip in the dollar needs to be bought. And I think that rally in the S&P 500 needs to be sold. And I think this is all going to take place over the next couple of weeks, Dan, just my opinion. Yeah. So one thing that I've played on a couple of occasions over the last year, because the dollar has been very volatile. And most, most times, like throughout our career, we have not seen this sort of volatility in the dollar. Let's just like matter of fact, that's been the case. But one vehicle that I've been using is the UUP, an ETF that tracks the US dollar basket. We know about 50% of that is the euro. And we know why the euro has been really weak. But you know, if you want to look out, if you think... And Carter, I think you detailed this on Monday, a check back to that breakout level would be a great reload level in the dollar. If you look at the UUP, maybe that looks right above 28 or so. But Mm -hmm. just to give you some sort of framework here, looking out to January expiration, if you're going to look at like calls in the UUP with the UUP right now at about 2880, the January 2023 29 strike call would cost you about a dollar. You can do that math. That's about 3% of the underlying there. That's not a whole heck of a lot to risk. If you think that the dollar is going to be one of the really key risk assets to move over the next, I don't know, six, you know, seven months or so. So to me, that's an easy way to play, I think, with defined risk. But I am with both of you. I'd wait for a check back, right? You've had that kind of parabolic breakout move. Maybe it comes back to that breakout level, and that would be a great spot to reload. Before we say goodbye to the great Carter Braxtonworth, I had a question on the Twitter yesterday. Somebody wanted to know what was behind you, I believe over your right shoulder. It looks like somebody fancied lamp or some type of thing you have there. Can you speak to that, please? Yes, yes. It's a it's sort of a 1950s torch lamp. It's called a wide light. They use it on movie sets and in other settings that big head pivots and it's kind of fun. It has a nice this, light to it when I turn it I on. I mean, you know something? One of the myriad of reasons that I love you, Carter. I mean, only Carter Worth would have something like that, but so it's so good. And if you're playing bingo game at home, I guarantee none of you people had that. So tough took us, as they say, Dan. You want to say goodbye to Carter for me? Yeah, I do. And it won't be goodbye, Carter, because you know what? Guy guy and I are going to see you tonight on Fast Money on CNBC (laughs) in the 5 o'clock hour. So, buddy, thanks for joining us. If you guys want more of Carter Braxton Worth's great work, you can get it at worthcharting.com. If you become a subscriber, you can also tune in. You can just dream with him at 12 midnight. Every night, he's doing these calls. And I think it's probably a whole heck a lot of fun. I'm usually asleep then too. So Carter, thanks for joining us, bud. Talk soon. All right, man. All right, guy. I, let's, I love, I, I mean, is it okay to say that? I mean, yes. it's a love affair. Yes. I think, you know what? I think people have come to realize the genius that is Carter worth, not just in his work, but just in his being. Anyway, Dan, yeah. please, this is earnings wow. season, by the way, let's talk about it. Cause it's, it's upon us. It is upon us. All right, listen, here's the deal. You know how you usually say at the start of the hour, we're going to put 30 minutes on the yeah. clock? It is literally 120 Eastern. We are going to be out 
on the nose, okay, at 130 here. So we, but, but Amanda loaded us up here, and Stephen, we got a lot to get through. So let's let's do it really quickly. Earnings season is upon us. You know, we previewed earlier in the week that Delta, and you know, it's interesting. Delta had a huge move. You know, yesterday it was up six or seven percent. It's giving it all back to yeah, disappointing. So it's just, you know, we're just bringing that up because I think it's interesting to kind of see the day-to-day movements once the news is out, what people expect versus what they get, how they're positioned, and that stock is not looking great on the chart either. But let's talk about banks. Without going too much, we've spent a lot of time on the banks, the underperformance of the banks. I thought this was interesting. I saw this on Bloomberg this morning, just really about the valuations of the banks going back over the last 10 years. You've been highlighting how cheap the banks are. Now, obviously, how difficult the environment is, the capital markets environment, net interest margins, you know, the whole host of things going on here. Talk to me about valuation and can you buy these stocks once the news is out on valuation alone, guy, or if you're worried about a recession that we might be in or be in soon, is it just just no bueno? Does avoid the banks altogether? Yeah, no, that's a great. That is that is the question. Without question, that's the question. Is valuation enough of a reason to get in? The answer is no. I don't think valuation is ever the reason to get into something. I think it's one of many reasons you have to look at. And I think in terms of the banks, valuation now, you can check that box. I also think you can check the box of them being somewhat oversold. And the negativity in the space clearly is evident. What I think is going to happen, and again, I'm not suggesting I'm right, but I do think you're going to get a bit of a real relief rally here in a myriad of these names. JP Morgan's going to start it off, and I think that stock can rally. Listen, I think it can rally pretty meaningfully anywhere from 8 to 10% over the next week or so. It doesn't mean we're out of the woods by any stretch, but I think it's going to sort of coincide with the broader market, and it's going to get us to fill a gap in the JP Morgan chart that we've also talked about. So, you know, JP Morgan at current levels is trading about 1.55 times tangible book. That's about, it's got a little cheaper a week or so yeah. ago, but that's about as cheap as we've seen it in quite some time. And I think there's a decent reason to believe, you know, we can rally in some of these names. I've said for a while, I think Goldman Sachs can trade their way out of this over the next couple of quarters. I don't know if the market's going to fully reward them for that. But I think you're going to see a ridiculously good number out of Goldman Sachs. And I think that's the stock that can rally from here as well, Dan. Yeah, you know, listen, I'm less optimistic and I'm kind of less in the mood of playing for like five, seven percent rallies in single stock names in an environment that we're in. where there's No, that's so much fair, else. by the way. You know, and I don't mean to interrupt you. I think yeah. that's a great point. You know, if you're not look, if you're not in this to scalp and I do think if you're talking about anywhere from seven to ten yeah. percent then that's, that's just not the environment right now, right? But if you think you can scalp, and I do think there's an opportunity, yeah. but you have to be tactical. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but, I, but I, I, I think that's a really good distinction. And I'm just going to pull up the BKX here. You know, this is why we don't like to use the XLF all the time because Berkshire Hathaway is the largest component. But look at this BKX here. So to your point, Guy, if you got a 6 7 8% rally, and listen, that's highly probable here. You know, the banks are really overdone to the downside near term, very oversold. You get back to that downtrend, but then you'd want to sell that. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, look at how it, just holding on for dear life at that kind of one year support. And if you back that out and you go to kind of like, you know, 2019 or so, it really looks like a very, very precarious technical spot. And on any bounce, I'd want to kind of sell them unless there is some fundamental news that changes the outlook for the global economy. I just don't think that's happening anytime soon. So I guess I'd rather wait and see what a couple of these banks have to say. If they do rally afterwards, let's see if they can hold those levels and sustain that, you know? Who's one of your favorite people on CNBC in the morning? 
I think you call him Q. Is it? Is I call it him Q? CQ. Yeah. Sometimes just straight yeah. out Q. I love he's, Faber he's, too. Just so you know, I'm a huge Faber fan. But Faber's not. You know, Faber doesn't embrace Twitter as much as Q no. does. And I mention that because here you go, Carl Keatonia put out a tweet, Dan Nathan. Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, if you are interested in markets and you are not following Carl Keatonia, like as you say, guy, you're doing you're doing, doing Twitter wrong. wrong because he is just the breadth of knowledge and the amount of like content that he produces is amazing. So he makes our job easier as we're trying to program this stuff. But he's talking about the rolling correction. He's quoting Bank of America. The rolling correction in semis could be hitting data center and cloud around now. I think they highlighted now. Oh, you see what they all, did? There? All caps. Oh, Why is that? Because you brought it up yesterday, Dan. Yes, we were talking about service now, and the CEO was on Jim Cramer's show Monday afternoon, and I thought it was really interesting. We were talking about it yesterday because we thought what he had to say was of particular concern, you know, as we think about technology and we think about some of the issues with inventories as it relates to semis and other hardware and we think about some of these consumer ad based names right that have been really weak we haven't heard that enterprise spending has been weak for these sorts of products and i think that's what happened so really interesting to me like that comment i think we're going to get a lot more over the next week or so i think on july 26 microsoft is going to report let's see what they have to say mm-hmm. so that's just an interesting one but tomorrow morning guy adami Taiwan Semi. This is one of the largest components of the SMH, the ETF that tracks the Philly Semiconductor Index here. And you see what's happened. Massive double top. You called it back there at 140 earlier this year. But this thing has not had too many sustainable rallies here. And that's the one-year chart. Go look at the five-year. You know, there's just an air pocket, guy, down to that kind of 2020 high here, that breakout level. So, Talk to me about what you need to hear about the company that basically makes chips for the world. What do you need to hear from them tomorrow? Demand is still robust. I mean, I don't know if they're going to use that type of language, but they see no fall off in demand. And if that is the case, I think this stock is way too cheap. If somehow in the vernacular, it comes into, you know, double ordering or supply chain problems continue and any of those types of things. That air pocket that you just talked about, I think it's absolutely in play. If you're asking me to play stock market here, I'd rather be long Taiwan semi for a bounce into these numbers than short it. And I think you would agree with this. You say all the time you don't like to press things here, and I don't yeah. think you're suggesting to do that. I do think at some point that's our landing spot. I just don't think it happens over the next couple of days. Yeah, I, I agree. Again, I, you know, I don't mean to sound like Chicken Little here. I'm just kind of at this point where I'm not that inclined to try to pick things up for bounces right here. I'm more interested in kind of putting together a mosaic of what a lot of these companies have to say, you know, what the, what they're seeing right now, what sort of visibility they have, how confident are they to guide, you know what I mean? Like that's going to be, and body language is going to be really important. And I just don't think it's going to be that great. So for whatever that's worth. All right, let's hit a couple more things. We only have a few more minutes here, Guy. Twitter. This has been our friend Karen Feinerman on CNBC's Fast Money the other night. She called in, made a call, bought calls, short dated calls. She just was looking at the suits and everything that was going likely to happen and she just thought upward pressure on Twitter like worst case scenario good for Twitter stock price I don't really agree looking out past a couple weeks here she got that right stocks up what nine percent or something like that eight percent today thoughts quickly on Twitter because you were also you have been in the camp of buying dips you think there's more positive outcomes near term for Twitter share price than negative ones. Yeah, but that was wrong for a while as well. I mean, over the last couple of weeks, it seems to make sense. And one of the things I said, I think on Fast Money Monday is, you're, if you're short Twitter, it's almost incumbent upon you. You have to cover in this environment. 
unless you really think the stock is headed to a teenage or a low 20s and you don't care about a few dollar move to the upside. So has it exhausted itself to the upside? I don't think yet. I still think it has a little bit of room. Last night on the show, I said you might see a 10 to 15% rally in the name. I think you mentioned right now you're up 8 or 9%. Yeah. So I think there's a little left in the tank. But at a certain point, again, like we view, I think, the broader market and individual names, there's going to be a level to fade this thing. What yeah. really surprised me here, Dan, I'm going off script a little bit quickly, is Tesla was weak today. I absolutely thought that would happen. But the reversal here in Tesla, to me, again, is interesting to a point. Yeah. No, it is interesting. I mean, listen, you know, I actually bought put spread two days ago in Tesla looking out past this you know, Q2 report. I don't think it's going to be particularly great. I think it might be the sort of thing that kind of gets, you know, after that great quarter, you were calling it the immaculate quarter or whatever, you know, that Q1 report from April. I just think that it's not going to be particularly great. We have the deliveries, but I just don't like all the stuff that's going on with Elon Musk. I think he's becoming a huge liability for this company. And again, there's a lot of shareholders that think that he is one of the main reasons why this thing trades at the market cap in which it does about $700 billion. I'm just not there for that. You know, again, they filled in that gap from the opening and then just kept on roaring here. You know, listen, I look at this chart. It's actually one of very few mega cap names that is not at a 52-week low. It's well above it. You see that little pennant, if you want to call it that, that's forming there, guy. Maybe it's bullish. I don't know. Maybe it gets up to 750 or so. That would blow up my trade if that were to happen anytime soon. But I just want to go back it out to 2020, guy. When you see it like this mm -hmm. and you see that breakout level from late 2020, when it was announced it was going to be added to the S&P 500, and you look at the fact that it's still above its 52-week highs. I mean, I see a move that could go back to 550 on disappointing fundamental news. And I think Elon Musk is unwinding before our faces on Twitter for, for whatever. I mean, literally on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like we're seeing it. We have a front row seat for it. Yeah. And we're not haters by any stretch. You know, we get that a lot. Your, your Tesla, it's not the case. I mean, we've been right in Tesla, we've been wrong about Tesla. I think recently, ever since that quarter where the stock traded up to almost 1100, and we collectively said, you got to fade this thing. I think we've been spot on. And I happen to agree with you. I think this rally will be short-lived. And I'll throw a wild card at you. I would not be surprised if former President Trump came out and started to say things about Tesla and Elon Musk and some of the things the administration had done for them during their difficult time. So there's a lot to this story. Yeah. There are many more chapters to be written. So stay tuned. But I think eventually we do get to the levels that you just mentioned. Well, to, just to your point, to put a bow on that, I mean, these guys are starting to fight on Twitter and on Trump's Truth Social. And your point about Trump not caring, the same way that Musk doesn't really care about the sort of etiquette that usually goes on in these sorts of... The, I can see you know Trump divulging some very you know private information maybe about the dealings you know between the company and the government. I think that's what you're getting to, and that will be something that might appear to be a bit unsavory. All right, last thing before we get out of here, Guy, we did not make our 130 No, um, and I said, it, I said there's no chance. I, I said that at the top. I predicted that. It's like a crystal ball. Anyway, continue, but we're not, please. We're not doing horribly here, okay? Like, let's be clear. Because I actually think this is worth the wait. So this one, and we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, I think on Market Call. Look at this Disney chart, okay? So this is going back no since good. the start of 2020 here. And you see this little consolidation that it's been in here below $100. It makes two-year lows 
today as we're speaking here. And if you look at that 2020, early 2020 low, that's 80 bucks. That was a panic low down there. I just drew a line. Carter would tell us, well, that's just a line connected to one point. That doesn't mean jack. My only point is it's a reference point here. And yeah. if you back it out, guy, going back 10 years, okay, and you look at this thing, well, you see that late 2014 low, then you see the 2020 low. It feels like it's a foregone conclusion the stock's going to touch 80-ish. Listen, I'll be the first to say I didn't think Disney deserved to be a $200 stock. But on the flip side of that, I'm shocked that it's where it is right now. I mean, Disney was the D in my dawn trade earlier this year. And I thought the back half of the year is when Disney would shine. You know, I didn't think it would have a gangbuster first half. I thought the second half would be great. It's not coming to fruition. I will say this quickly, and I think you would agree. In terms of valuation only, this is about as cheap as Disney's been in quite some time, if that's the only metric you're looking at. But if you think things are going to come ratcheting to a halt, obviously the zero COVID policy in China, Europe's obviously a mess. There are a lot of things working against Disney right now. I get it. But if you see some glimmer of hope at some point, I think Disney's just too cheap here, Dan. I agree. I, listen, I, I'm going to start buying it at some point with an eight handle. I don't know if that's 88. I don't know if it's 83. Again, I, I'm being a little bit of chicken little here. I kind of are picking at some names at the multi-year time horizon. And I would put Disney on one of the tops of my buy list if I'm thinking out two, three years or so. Because again, just like that 80 is a reference point to the downside going back 10 years, that $200 number, which you were fading it back then, is also a reference point. And you may say it may take 10 years to get back there. But at some point, 80 is too low if 200 was too high last year. And then would say people playing at home would say if you add those two numbers together and divide by two, you get 140. And that actually probably makes sense. That's just the way I play our home game. But, you know, we got a 5,000 here, Dan, because people got things going on. We're five minutes late. I mean, it's just sorry. If we were like the evening news, the producers be all over us. A man would be in our ears. She'd be screaming, cut, break, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But that's it. I love doing this. I do enjoy this. I think people can tell. I know you do as well. Love Carter Worth. Thanks for joining us. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered not only by today, but by tomorrow. We are powered by Open Exchange. And Dan, tomorrow, which will be Thursday, you just want to tell the folks who's going to be joining us? Well, as usual, as you call her EY from SoFi, that would be Elizabeth Young here. We're going to preview kind of her piece, her weekly piece, but also, very importantly, John Butters, Senior Earnings Analyst from FactSet. We are going to do a pre-Q2 earnings season. We're just going to call it extravaganza because Butters, he kind of elicits that sort of feeling here. So we got Butters tomorrow. We're going to be sponsored by FactSet tomorrow, powered by tomorrow with data. So we're going to get into it. I think that's it. People, enjoy the rest of your day. The Mets play an afternoon. They used to call that a businessman special. Now I call it a business person's special in Atlanta. I will tell you, Mets fans out there, I know you're hoping for a win. It ain't going to happen. You're going <laughs> to basically limp to the all-star break in second place. I've enjoyed this. You've enjoyed it, Dan. We will see you tomorrow. All right. See you later.